The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, I'd invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. My name is Chase, and I'm one of the pastors here at TBC, and we are on week five of a six-week series called Teach Us to Pray. And today we're looking at Jesus' response when some disciples asked him to pray. There are two places that this appears in Scripture. One is in Luke and the other is in Matthew, which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a a great idea that we be taught to pray. I want to mention also tonight we're going to pray together We're going to worship together. We're going to have a time of devotion at 7.30 in our east parking lot. We've been doing that in May. We'll continue to do that through May. We would love for you to join us, bring your chairs, bring your blankets, and we sit in kind of every other parking spot. Please join us there as we do that. Well, my first year as a believer, I, uh, I didn't really know how to pray, but I knew that I should. And so I prayed all kinds of crazy things. And as I was thinking about the disciples saying to Jesus, teach us to pray, and and then his response to that, I thought about that first year as a believer, and there are two things I prayed a whole lot. I lived with an aunt and uncle my senior year in high school, and my aunt could cook just like nobody's business. And so I would pray, God, would you give me a wife that can cook like Aunt Carol? Would you give me a wife who could cook like Aunt Carol? And he, he did. God answered my selfish prayer. My other prayer he answered too. I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you, but I would pray, Jesus, I want you to come back, but please don't come back until I'm married. That might have exposed a little more of my idolatry than anything else, but I asked it and obviously we're still here. And I was praying with my youth pastor, who's a, a young adult that was leading our little rural church youth ministry one time, and I prayed those two things. And as I prayed that second one, Jesus, please don't come back until I'm married. He, when we were done, he said, Chase, has anybody taught you how to pray? And I stopped and I thought, no. No, and he said, well, would you mind if I teach you how to pray? And I said, yeah, I would love that. And so he took me to Matthew chapter six. And I love that he did But I don't just love that he did because I got to see this model prayer that I had said over and over, but that this was a place that people had gone in many countries, not for 10, not for 100, not for many hundred, but for thousands of years. And the disciples had first heard from Jesus himself, when you pray, pray like this. And so as we pray this morning, we're just going to walk through Matthew chapter 6, Verses 9 through 13, Jesus is teaching, and as he's teaching, he's telling the disciples, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street. They love to really pray aloud so people will see them. They want to be noticed by others, and when you pray like that, you've received your reward in full. Maybe he was thinking of this story he told in Luke about the Pharisee who was praying, and he said, God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector over here, and God, thank you that I'm not like liars and like sinners, thieves. God, thank you that I'm such a great guy. And then there's this tax collector who wouldn't even come close and he was beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe Jesus was thinking of that when he told them this. Do not pray just heaping empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need. 
Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is just take these few phrases and walk through them one by one as we consider how we might pray. And the first is this, our Father in heaven. Now this word, our Father, is revolutionary. It was revolutionary in the first century for Jews to call God their father. Now, in the Old Testament, it's used 14 times, this word father, but it's always used as God, sovereign creator. It's not a personal thing. And Jesus makes it personal. Our father who's in heaven, it's a personal word here, and it's the word of choice for Jesus when he prays 60 times in the gospel record. It's Jesus's word of choice. It's so unique. There's a temple right down the road for another religion and there with all of their idols, they wouldn't begin to call one of them their father. It's not a personal thing. For our our Muslim friends who are going through Ramadan right now, they can't call God their father because he's not. But because of Christ Jesus, we get to say our father. It's unique to every other religion in the world. And while it's unique, that we say father for us, it might be revolutionary that we say our instead of my. The most natural thing for Jesus to have said would have been my father. When you pray, pray it like this, pray my father. In fact, Jesus prayed that way, he could. He was God's one and only son. Father is what he prayed, but he says to us, pray our. And in a world that's so individualistic and we're so caught up with ourselves, he says, pray our father. It's an important thing all the time. It's a really important thing, I think, today. Great theologian and preacher of the 20th century, S.M. Lockridge, said, you can't really call him your father if you're not willing to call him our father. I was listening to a message that he spoke on the Lord's Prayer. A friend pointed me to, and as he was talking, S.M. Lockridge being African-American to a predominantly Caucasian congregation, he said, I'm stuck with you and you're stuck with me. See, literally in my house and spiritually in our house, we have brothers of all kinds of colors, everyone made in the image of God. And so we, his people together say, our father, because we are Temple Bible Church and there's many local churches, but there's one church and we are one family united in Christ together. He says, our Father. It's such an amazing thing that in the most personal way, we can go to the throne of grace with boldness and say, our Father. See, when we say, our Father, We're talking to one who's in heaven, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. See, while we go boldly, it's never a light thing to enter the presence of God. It took the blood of Jesus Christ for you and for me to be able to enter into God's presence. See, before Christ came and before he died for the sins of the world and There was only one guy, the high priest, that would go in one place, the temple, and he would go behind the veil of the temple to offer sacrifices. 
for God's people, but the veil was torn at the death of Christ so that we could enter into the presence of God. It's no longer in one place. He's, he's not dwelling in a temple made by human hands. So we say to our Father in heaven, and when we say it, we are talking to our Father and we're also talking to God Almighty, the God who knows, the God who sees, the God who declares the end from the beginning, the God who gives, the God who takes away, the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will and the God who works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And so we say, our Father who art in heaven, as I was praying through this text, thinking about this text, our Father who art in heaven. We've got community, our Father, who art in heaven. We surrender, we submit to him, we humble ourselves before him. And then the next phrase is, hallowed be your name. It's a prayer of mission. Our core values are right there, community, surrender, mission. Hallowed be your name, or may your name be made holy. Now this theme of holiness is throughout the scripture. The word holy or holiness is used 500 plus times throughout the Bible, glory and fame almost 500 times. This is the story of his glory. I was talking to a friend several years ago and we were talking about the Bible and he was talking about God's love and really kind guy, really nice. And he says, Chase, I, sometimes I just think you have a glory-based view of God. And I thought, yes, Absolutely but what do you mean? And he, he said, well, well, what about God's love for us? And I said, you know, God's love for us is one of the things that makes him so glorious. This theme of hallowed be your name is echoed throughout the scripture. And when you think about the name of God, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So hallowed be that name we sing that at that name, the mountains shake and crumble, and at that name, the oceans roar and tumble, and at his name, angels will bow, and the earth will rejoice, and his people will cry out. We say of this name that this name was the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High, a hidden glory in creation, and this name now revealed in, in Jesus our Christ, it's a beautiful name, the name of Jesus, our King, God exalted Jesus and gave him the name above all names. And so we say to God, your name, Jesus, is the one and the only one by which we must be saved. We pray that this is the name that would cause demons to shudder and stop in their tracks to tremble. It's the name that makes mountains rise up from the ground and rivers to roll through valleys. Lord, your name is the name that makes flowers bloom in spring and leaves turn and fall. This prayer, hallowed be your name, is the echo of creation. God made Adam and Eve in his image and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And as Adam and Eve filled the earth with images of God, that was the plan, then his name would be hallowed, he would be glorified, God would be known as holy in all the earth. But Adam and Eve didn't hold his name holy. 
and his image was broken and marred by the fall. And so now we're praying for this day. God, when the glory covers the earth, when your glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea, that's what we pray for, it's what we labor for, it's what we long for, that your name would be made holy, that your holiness would be seen, that your glory would be shown. See, when we talk about holiness, there are two concepts that we talk about. It's God's perfect purity, that God is unimpeachable in purity, that he never does wrong. There's nothing marred in his character. He is without spot or blemish. And then there's another way that we talk about God's holiness and we say that it's his otherness. It's how he's distinct from humanity. Now, there's no way to explain all of this in 35 minutes, much less a few sentences about it. And so we can't, but there is one thing I'll say about God's holiness that is really clear about his otherness. And that is this beautiful thing. God is holy or distinct or different from us and that God always gives himself glory. He always honors his name. We were made for his glory, but all of us, every human who has ever existed, we have all sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and fallen short of the glory of God. See, when we sin, we fall short we were made for. We were made to image his goodness, his beauty, his perfections, his glory, and we fail to do that. But when God gives, he gives himself glory. When he takes away, he gives himself glory. When he makes the mountains rise up, when he causes the rivers to flow, when he brings a baby into this world, when he blesses a man and a woman in marriage. When he provides rain and sun, he is showing how glorious and how beautiful he is. And so we say to him, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we pray your kingdom come. We pray your kingdom come. And there are all these things that we ask for when we pray for your kingdom to come. But first we pray, God, in our hearts, you're our father. And we want your kingdom to come. And it comes in and through the church by the power of God's spirit in our lives when we gather and then when we're scattered. See, when we speak of the kingdom, we're speaking of this already and not yet. There's this already where we do see the rule and reign of God coming into the world through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the redemption that's found in him, and still, there's so much brokenness. But see, we're crazy enough to believe that there is going to be one eternal, multinational gathering, and that our lives as the church, we're moving toward that day by day with smaller, time-honored, intentional gatherings right now online, some of you in your homes tonight in our parking lot, our brothers and sisters in Rwanda, in Ukraine, in Lebanon, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in France, in Thailand, other places, and the rule and reign of Jesus is expressed when we gather like we're gathering right now because this is how we can as we love one another. And then it's expressed as we're scattered. Now you might be watching this and, and thinking about what we believe and you might not know Christ and, and you know it's been said of Christians, you guys are just a bunch of sheep and that's right, we are. 
And our shepherd is a king. Our shepherd is a king. And so if you're one of these people who as you pray, kind of what you pray is really you're just praying about your own kingdom and God make much of me. And and really what you're thinking about when you pray is just expanding your own little personal area of growth and gathering as much as you can for your own glory. Your kingdom come and your will be done is not the prayer for you. But see, if you recognize that together in Christ, by his power and by his grace, what we accomplish as his people, seeing his kingdom come is just better. Then we pray as his church. And his kingdom comes when we pray and his will is done when we pray, but also when we share the gospel in our lives with one another and the world around us. His kingdom His kingdom comes. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, for for those of us who understand that God is sovereign, there's a sense in which this can cause tension. It can kind of be a a, a weird thing in our minds. Well, Well, wait a second. Isn't God sovereign? Isn't his will always done? And the answer is no. This is one of these moments where we've got to embrace the tension and and not just kind of go to where our mind would logically maybe take us, but say, what does the text say? Romans 12 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we may prove what the will of God is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. There are some things that are not his will. It's not his will that we would honor him with our lips and our hearts be far from him. First Thessalonians 4, this is God's will that you would abstain for, from sexual immorality. It's not God's will that people be sexually immoral but that you live holy lives. Then there are all these commands that sometimes we disobey. It's not God's will that his people don't live by faith. It's not God's will that his people disobey. And so we want Jesus' kingdom to come and we want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this week, I've, I've been praying just these different large things, thinking about God's kingdom coming and his will being done. And so I've just said, Jesus, as long as your name is not honored and worshiped in our neighborhoods And among the nations, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done as long as marriages are broken and children are growing up without fathers, as long as the elderly are overlooked and authorities abuse their power. God, as long as there are people with no roof over their head and no food on their table. God, as long as disease and death and destruction seem to reign on this earth, as long as 125 thousand babies are killed every day in the world before they're even born and as long as the hatred of racism stains the streets of Georgia with the blood of young black men as long as alcohol and opioids are the hope of the broken as long as the gift of intimacy is marred by immorality as long as widows weep as long as orphans long for a home We pray, God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come quickly, Lord. We pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we labor 
for that. We don't want to honor him with our lips and our hearts be far. We labor for the sake of the vulnerable and we labor for Christ's name to be known and worshiped in the neighborhoods of Central Texas, in the neighborhoods of Central Asia, in the neighborhoods of Central Texas, in the neighborhoods of Central America, in the neighborhoods of Central Texas, in the neighborhoods of Central Africa, in the neighborhoods of Central Texas, in the neighborhoods of Central Europe. We just pray for Christ's name to be known and for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And as we pray for these big and grand things, where brokenness abounds, we also say, give us this day our daily bread. We don't just pray for grand and sweeping societal things. See, God gives us life and breath and everything else. They're gifts from God and we need his provision every day. Every day, we forget that because we're just going along in life and we got good jobs and We got Amazon.com or whatever your online shopping place of choice is when things are normal and we go to the store and get what we want and the shelves are always full. And then our friends, our brothers, our sisters get furloughed. They get laid off, work gets cut back to 80% or 50% or jobs get cut and then all of a sudden we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. God, would you provide for us today? And he does. He does. We pray, God, give us this day our daily bread with a full understanding that some days need more bread than others, right? Some days need more bread than others. So I don't know how many calories I'm supposed to eat a day, but I know I eat too. I've got a nephew who swims at Seton Hall University. He needs more calories than me, like a lot more calories than me. And I would imagine we both eat about the same amount of calories. And the problem is then I get unhealthy and I I forget Oh, I'm looking for bread that's strength for something. My nephew Walker, he's getting just the right amount of strength to to be able to swim a long way really fast. There's a purpose behind the bread that he's eating. And we say, give us this day our daily bread and we pray it. We pray it so that we can walk out nourished. So that God's name will be hallowed, so that his kingdom will come, so that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's hard to remember to stop and just trust him for the day. We tend to think in five year and 10 year increments But Jesus said, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You're more valuable than they are. Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and gone tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you? Give us today this daily bread, and then we trust him to give us the daily bread. One of my 
favorite little sections of scripture is 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's praying for the church and he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge or through really knowing him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And by his glory and goodness, he's given us excellent and precious promises so that through them we would, we would be partakers, we would taste the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. God, give us today our daily bread and Jesus be the bread that sustains us. Give us confidence in you today and help us, God, to not worry about tomorrow in a time when we don't know what tomorrow brings. Well, Jesus continues this prayer as we ask God to give us our daily bread. We pray that he would forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Forgiveness is such a huge theme in the scripture. 130 plus times in the Greek New Testament, forgive, forgiven, forgiveness is used. And here's the truth about almost all of humanity. We tend to love being forgiven far more than we love being forgiving. Let me say that again for those in the back. We tend to love being forgiven far more than we love being forgiven. Jesus, you want me to forgive, but who? And how much do I have to forgive them? And how often and why? Because this truth that you've heard probably many times is that we will never forgive more in forgiving the things done to us than God is forgiving and the things done by us. See, it's not just about what we've done or thought or the passions of our heart or said, but it's about who we do it against. And when we sin, we sin against this infinitely holy, perfect, and beautiful God. But forgiveness is hard. God, forgive us our debts. Forgive the lust and the greed and the pride in our hearts. Forgive the ungratefulness, God. Forgive the bitterness and the malice. Forgive the hatred. God, forgive the fact that we look for our own interests first and not the interest of others. Forgive that we're not compassionate and kind and humble. <laughs> Forgiveness is hard. Some of you, horrible and awful things have been done to you by others. How do we forgive that? I'll, I'll never forget being in a mission setting in another place and I was there with a, a dear friend and we were talking to people about forgiveness. And there was a young lady there and, and someone in, in the town that she lived in had harmed a friend horribly. So much so that the person went to prison and then got out of prison and came back into this little town and she said, I have to see him every day. And you want me to forgive him? And my friend, who had also had horrible things done, treated awfully by others, I could see tears begin to well up in his eyes. As he said, I'm so sorry for what's happened to your friend. I'm so sorry for the pain that it's caused your friend. And I'm so sorry for the pain that I can tell it causes you. 
But in our context and in our setting, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus, here's what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness looks like a man naked and bleeding on a cross, his back bloodied and torn, thorns pressed into his head, and he's bleeding for the sins of others. See, forgiveness is bloody. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is not sweeping over sins. It's saying that you die to yourself on behalf of another. You don't count their sins against them. That's what God has done for those who are in Christ. He doesn't count our sins against us. And so we forgive as forgiven people. Why? Because transformed people live transformed lives. See, not perfect, not always exactly right, but being shaped into the image of Christ. Transformed people live transformed lives. So people who are looking out for our own interests and trying to make ourselves and our names great, now we say, hallowed be your name. People who had not received mercy and who were without God, we say, our Father. People who are trying to build our own kingdoms and empires and looking out for our own wills, we say, your kingdom come and your will be done. Because transformed people live transformed lives, so we even say, God, forgive us if we have forgiven those who've sinned against us. And then there's this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why in the world would we pray such a thing? I, I believe that we would because we are so prone to temptation, not just prone to it, but prone to run into it. Well, where does temptation come from? It doesn't come from God. We tend to think of it coming from the devil, and certainly it does, but also it comes from our own hearts. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, who can survive and press through and remain consistent during trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when? When he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, we give way to temptation when we're lured and enticed by our own broken and dark and putrid desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Lead us not into temptation, Lord, because that's gonna be toward our destruction. Lead us not into temptation. See, we say this thing. We say we judge ourselves by our best intentions and others by their actions. But what I wanna say to you as we pray, lead us not into temptation, is actually we probably judge ourselves by what we think our intentions are and others by their actions because the heart of man is deceitful above all else. So we need to be asking God, protect me today from myself. Protect us from ourselves. We tend to think far too highly 
of ourselves. Charles Spurgeon said, men with low self-esteem are, are usually thinking pretty accurately. Lead us not into temptation, but then he says, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. When the Jews heard deliver us from evil, that was a prayer that they would get behind. Occupied by Rome, oppressed by Babylon, Persia, before that, deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from evil. That's right. Get these people who want to oppress us out of here. Deliver us from evil. And see, one day Jesus will return. And he will deliver us from all the evil out there. But as he was teaching his disciples, what they didn't understand is that they needed all the more to be delivered from the evil in here. And so do we. Deliver us from evil. Let us be set apart. Let us be distinct. Let us be a, a people who love God with all that we are and love our neighbors as ourselves. Let us not be short-sighted. Let us not demand our rights. Let us be people who surrender ourselves to the will of God and humble ourselves and entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Let us live as people who've been delivered from evil, from the feudal way of life handed down to us by our forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but by the precious blood of a lamb. Let us people, let us live as people who've been born again to a new and living way, oh God. And let us like newborn babies long for pure spiritual milk so that, that by it we may grow up in salvation. Let us put away all malice and anger everything that would hinder us from knowing Jesus. Well, why do we want to be holy? Well, we're told that we're to be holy because we're his. See, he says, be holy in all your behavior because I am holy. So we want to be holy so that people will know we have a father in heaven. And then the prayer comes full circle. And as we live by God's grace, holy lives, then we want the whole world to say, hallowed be your name. Oh, I want to know that God. Can I have him as my father? And then as we hallow his name more and more through the church, we see his kingdom coming and his will being done. And then of course, none of us are perfect. We're transformed people living transformed lives, being shaped in the image of Christ. But we've got to ask for forgiveness. We're going to have to forgive one another again and love one another. And then as we die to one temptation, another comes along. And so we'll say again, Lord, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from evil. So that the name of God would be hallowed and reverenced and feared and worshiped and adored in all the earth. So that his beautiful and wonderful image would be spread so that his glory would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and so that humanity would live reconciled and in harmony with one another, submitted to God. So would you pray with me now this prayer that has been prayed so many times? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh God, we pray your kingdom come and we pray 
for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, we ask that you would give us what we need today, God, for people without jobs, provide jobs, provide bread, provide food for their families. Use your church, help us to love one another to do that. And God, forgive us. We don't trust you sometimes. We don't love one another well. Forgive us, God. We don't bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Sometimes we speak like a clanging symbol. Forgive us, God. And help us to forgive others. Don't lead us into temptation, Lord, but deliver us from evil. And God, we say, as your church has said for many, many years, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.